go into the word of the Lord this morning. Amen. Thankful for the word of God today. Yes, Brother Bolden. Amen, amen. Thank you, Brother Bolden. Praise God, praise God. Genesis, the 32nd chapter, in verse 22. Genesis 32 and verse 22. This is looking at part of the story, the narrative of uh, Jacob's life. So Genesis 32 and verse 22. He arose up that night, took his two wives and two women servants and uh, his 11 sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and uh, sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that, he prevailed not against him. He touched the hollow of his thigh that's Jacob's thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him and he said let me go for the day breaks and Jacob said I will not let you go except you bless me verse 31 if you would and as he passed over Penuel the sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Amen. With the help of the Lord this morning, I, I want to pre preach on the subject, walk this way. Walk this way. Amen. God bless you. You can be in Jesus' name. Now, if someone were to walk into the room with the swagger of John Wayne... Now, I say the name John Wayne, and there's probably many here that don't even have a clue who he is. But if someone were to walk into the room with the swagger of John Wayne, you would probably make some assumptions, because he, he was known for the way and the manner in which he walked. He's confident, is what you might say, or he's tough. You may use other words like arrogant, or full of himself, or proud. The reality is that simply by the manner that somebody walks, we will do just that. We will make assumptions and conclusions about their personalities just simply based upon their gait or their walk. Psychologists have been studying the manner in which people walk for close to a century now. If you were to see somebody walking from a distance, it's a person that you've never met, you're all going to begin to make assumptions about their personality, who they are simply by the manner in which they walk. In one of those studies, 
subject number 45. One of those studies that subject number 45 was described by those who, who were part of that study. They, they were watching these people walking. Now, they, they, they had uh, uh, taken away other uh, verbal cues and clues, uh, such as they could only see the, the way that they walked. They couldn't see their head. So they could only see how they walked in their body. And so subject 45, some of the comments about subject 45 about the way that they walked was subject 45 was pretentious with no foundation for it. Somebody else said somebody want this, this subject 45 is somebody who wants to gain attention at any price. Someone said conscious and intentional vanity eager to be admired. All they've seen is them walk. Somebody else said that this person was inwardly insecure trying to appear secure to others. The last person said that they were dull, somewhat subaltern and insecure, just simply by the way that they walked. This is what some of those observers had to say about Subject 45, simply by observing their walk. That sounds pretty bad, that we could judge somebody or attempt to gauge their character by how they walk without even getting to know them. Maybe you're feeling guilty right now because you've done it. But on the flip side, what about the people that you do know? How they walk may indeed show some of their personality. But it's also an identifier of those people that you do know. If you've known someone for a long period of time, you begin to recognize them from a distance without them being even close enough for you to see their face, and you identify them how? By their walk. The distance between their steps, the rhythm, the gait, the swagger, or the sway. Maybe the shuffle. I don't know. You are known in part by the manner in which you walk. It can give an indication of whether you're having a good day or a bad day. It can give an indication of health issues in body or in mind. Some people will try to hide themselves in the way that they walk. The one struggling with a bad day or physical issues may try to walk like, uh, like nothing is wrong. The one who is insecure may walk in a way as to indicate power and confidence. The one who is struggling spiritually may walk in a way to try and trick everybody to think that they've got it all together. Your walk will, however, eventually give indication of the struggle within. I don't know what spiritual condition you might have come here this morning with, but I do know that you don't have to walk out in the same manner. I don't know if you've walked in here trying to cover up your struggles or maybe you've walked in here today in your own pride or arrogance because you do think you've got it all together but no matter how you came in my prayer this morning is that you walk out of here changed is that you walk out of here different than the way that you walked in praise god i don't know if you've if you've come in with struggles or not i don't know if you've come in and everything is going well 
But even still, I pray that God would touch your life and move upon you in such a way that you walk out of here different than the way that you came in. Now, when we look at Jacob's life, this man that, that we just read, just a small portion, of, uh, just a snippet of his story. He was prophesied before he was ever born, uh, God speaking to his mother, that there are two nations that are struggling in your womb. And the elder shall serve the younger. Now Jacob was the younger. And so it was prophesied that he was going to end up being the head of the family. That he, even though he was second born, he was going to be able to, to live and, and serve the family as though he was the firstborn. And as we look at Jacob's life, from the very beginning, something's wrong with that dude. He's not even out of the womb yet, and he's causing problems. His Because bro- they're twins. His, his brother comes out. And what do you see from Scripture? Jacob saying, hey, hey, not without me, boy. He's got his hand on, on Esau's heel. Saying, that's, that's supposed to be my position. And so Esau gets named after what he looked like. He was a hairy dude. And so he was called Esau because he was hairy. But Jacob, his name, he comes out. And he's named Jacob because he's a heel grabber. He's a supplanter. He's trying to to take over something that's not rightfully his. And so it started before he ever left the womb. But as they grew up, as they got older, Esau was the hunter of the family and Jacob was the one who stayed at home. Esau was the favorite of his father, and Jacob was the favorite of his mother. So Jacob learned more of the duties of the home. He learned how to cook. He learned how to take care of everything at home. And, and Esau, he was the manly guy. He went out He went with his bow and, and arrows, and he went out and he went hunting. And one time when Esau went out hunting, he didn't catch anything. I don't care how manly you are. You don't catch anything. It doesn't matter. So he didn't catch anything, but, but he had been out there long enough that he came back home starving. And what does he smell as he's approaching home? Jacob's been cooking. He's got some cooking over the fire. And Esau... He just thinks his brother loves him so much that he's just going to give him what he asked for. Folks, if you've ever been the little brother, you want to do everything you can because that dude just makes your life hard. I speak from experience. But Esau comes in and says, Hey, give give me some of that stew. He says, I tell you what, let's make a deal. I'll give you this bowl of pottage, this bowl of stew, these lentils. You give me your birthright. 
You're going to bargain with your starving brother? In his own mind, he's saying this is the best time to bargain. So they made a deal, and the Bible tells us that Esau despised his birthright. He didn't have any respect toward his heritage. But Jacob wanted what Esau had, the birthright of the firstborn. That meant that he would be the one that would have the, the larger portion of the inheritance. And so he was tricking his brother. He was already known as the supplanter, the heel grabber. Now he's just living up to his name. But it didn't stop there because it wasn't too long in Scripture that we see that, that uh, their father was, was uh, close to dying. He was close, pretty much blind and he couldn't see what was going on. And so he knew that his end was coming soon. And he told Esau to go out, get some venison, come back, cook it, make it just like he likes, and he's going to give him the blessing of the firstborn. Well, Jacob wasn't always in it by himself. Remember whose favorite he was. Folks, I'm going to tell you, don't mess with mama. She heard what, what uh, Isaac had told uh, uh, Esau, and she, she went and got Jacob said, Jacob, we got to move now. said, I want you to cook, cook something up. We're going we're gonna to kill one of those goats. We're going to take the skins of those goats. We're going to cover uh, your arms and we're going to cover your neck and make sure that you feel like... That dude must have been hairy. We're going to make sure you feel like your brother and put on some of his clothes because I want you to smell like him too. He must have smelled something right. Or ripe is probably the right, better word. So he did all that his mother told him to do. And before Esau could ever get back, he went in to his father's tent and he said, Father, I'm here. Bless me with the blessing of the firstborn. He says, well, you don't sound like Esau. Come here. And he began to feel him, felt the back of his neck. And he brought him in close to give him a kiss because he's his son and he smelled him at the same time said says you feel like him and you smell like him but you don't sound like him but he gave him his blessing anyway and so now Esau has been tricked out of both his birthright and the blessing of the firstborn and now Jacob has all that is rightfully now that was rightfully Esau's by birth, but God had intended something different. God had a different purpose, something that he was going to be working through time. But this man Jacob, he was he was a trickster. He was a supplanter. But there was something that must have been in him that God saw that was not in Esau because we already understood from the trade that was made for Esau's birthright that he despised his birthright. He didn't, he didn't give any honor to his family. But something was in Jacob that God saw and could use. 
because when Jacob took that blessing of the firstborn, now he's running for his life because big brother had had enough. He had promised that he was going to kill Jacob once his dad died. And so Jacob flees for his life and on his journey to go to his uncle Laban's home, he stops somewhere in between he lays down for the night, makes a pillow out of stones. And there that night as he slept, God gave him a vision. You might have heard of Jacob's ladder. And in that vision, the angels of God were ascending and descending on those stairs or those steps. And God was at the top declaring, I'm, I'm, I'm God. I'm the one that you need to be serving. And when he woke up this, that, that morning, he anointed those stones, laid them uh, together as a sort of altar, and he called the name of that place Bethel, which is the house of God. There was something in him that God could move upon to change his life. It's not happening yet because he wasn't done being a deceiver yet. When he got to his uncle Laban's home, things started to change for Jacob because he saw this, this young lady named Rachel very close to Rochelle by the way she's gorgeous you don't know that's my wife's name he saw Rachel and she was beautiful and he wanted to take her as his wife and so he made an agreement with Laban and the tables were just about to be turned because this, this agreement that he made with Laban, he says, I will work seven years to take her as my wife. And they made that agreement and seven years later, could you imagine working seven years? Somebody wants to earn the hand of my daughter, they're going to have to work seven years. Praise God. After the seven years, it's about time to collect on his due. Praise God. And, and they get married. But little does he know when he wakes up in the morning, he didn't marry Rachel. He married her older sister, Leah. She was the one that wasn't so good looking. And he's so angry. How could this happen? Well, what you've done is now coming back upon you. You're not just the supplanter. You're not just the one that deceives people, but it's going to come back on you. And it did. But God has a way of working all things together. Praise God. And so they came to another agreement, another seven years to work for Rachel, and he did. And then he worked another seven years earning more wages. And the wages that they would earn were, were the cattle and the sheep and the goats. And, and Jacob, Jacob pulled one back over on Laban. He said, I tell you what, I'm going to work these seven years and these are going to be my wages. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, take all the speckled and spotted cattle, goats, and sheep. Those are going to be mine and all the other ones are going to be yours. And little did Laban know that Jacob knew how to, how to kind of work with, 
with uh, DNA even back then. He, he knew how to, how to just work those animals. He knew how to make it happen. And, and his wealth grew and Laban's did not. So Jacob's life is just full of these kind of tricks and deceit. And it gets to the point where he leaves Laban's home in deception. He took a three-day head start before Laban would ever even find out that they're gone. And his trickery even was uh, somehow got rubbed off on his wife Rachel because she took her father's uh, images and statues and, and gods just to spite her dad. This is who Jacob was. This is how Jacob walked. This is the life Jacob lived. Could you imagine living a life full of deceit? Living a life full of lies and trickery? That's what Jacob was living. But something was about to change. Because he was now, as he, as he has left Laban's home, he is now coming back home. And he's approaching the land of Seir where his brother Esau was. Folks, I don't know that I would want to come back to where Esau was. I might just go another direction. But he was going back home. And when he was approaching where Esau was, he began to, to, to uh, have a mea culpa. He was, he was beginning to, to realize that, that you know, he's going he's gonna to have a tough, t tough go of this uh, if, if he doesn't start working ahead of time. And so he begins to send messengers, servants that, that take a message and gifts to Esau. But the servants came back telling Jacob that Esau is coming with 400 men. Whew. That might put the fear of God in some people. And the Bible tells us that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And there in those moments when he heard that, he began to pray. And then what he did is he prepared and separated his family for the next day when they would meet Esau and they passed over the brook of Jabbok. And it was here that Jacob was all by himself. And that night, as the scripture read, he wrestled with a man until the breaking of the day. The man that, uh, that Jacob was wrestling with, you can, you can say he was most likely a, what was called a theophany. In one place in the text it says it was an angel. Another place Jacob says, I saw God face to face and I lived. That's why he called the name of that place Penuel. But it was here that Jacob, he, he wrestled with this man. And when the man saw the persistence of Jacob, that Jacob was not going to let him go. He touched the hollow of his thigh and put his hip out of joint. The Jacob that you once knew in just a little while overnight in an overnight prayer meeting, his walk was now changed. The way that he was going to be able to live is now changed. 
And he would not let go of the man with which he wrestled. And it was in those moments that the man asked Jacob's name. What is your name? My name is Jacob. He says, it's no more Jacob, but now it is Israel. You were once known as a supplanter, as a heel grabber, as a deceiver. But now your name is Israel, which is a prince with God. God saw the persistence of this man. And God saw the fear in this man that he was looking to change things up now. That he wanted to be different. That he could not approach Esau in the manner that he left him. And so he called the name of that place Peniel, and he said, For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. But now Jacob, said, the scripture says, halted upon his thigh. That means that he, he's got, a, got a, a limp now. He, he can't go running after the grandkids anymore. He, he's walking different than what he used to walk. He halted upon his thigh. He's walking now with a limp. He's walking different today than he did yesterday. He's walking different now than he did back then. You see, the last time he saw his brother Esau, he was, he was one man, and now he is a new and different man. He walked one way when he left, but he was walking another way when he returned. He left fleeing, but he returns now approaching he left with arrogance praise god but he comes with humility he left lifted up but now he comes bowing down he left without remorse and now he comes in repentance he left tearing the family apart but now he comes seeking reconciliation he left as a deceiver but now he's coming with the truth he left taking things, but now he comes giving things. He left as the rightful head of the family, but now he comes declaring that he is Esau's servant. Hallelujah. He left as the heel grabber and supplanter, but now he comes as the prince with God. He left as Jacob, but now he comes as Israel. He left walking. But he comes back limping. His limp would now be the consistent reminder of not only what happened that night at Jabaka, but of, of, of who he used to be and who he is supposed to be in God. I hope that you heard that this morning. He left, hallelujah, in the way that he used to be, but now he's walking in the way that God has purposed him to be. You used to be a heel grabber, but now you are a prince with God. Folks, God has a purpose for you. He's got something greater for you than all the things that you have done or been in your life. He wants to make you something that this world cannot do in your life. Only He can make you a prince with God. Hallelujah. We see that in the New Testament when it speaks of Jesus uh, that those who received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name that's not something man can do 
Only God can do that. You see, the design is, and is that we walk with God. It's not stated, but it's, it's implicit in the Scripture where we can see that God comes walking in the cool of the day. And that's when He finds Adam and Eve hiding their shame. What that implies is that, that there was points and times that Adam and Eve would walk with God in the garden. The point is, the purpose is, is, and the design is, is that we walk with God. The Bible tells us of Enoch, one of Adam and Eve's descendants, that he did indeed walk with God, and God took him because of that relationship. God tells Abraham, he says, I, in Genesis 17, 1, he says, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. Walk before, this is God's purpose for us. Folks, we've got to understand what God intends for us so that we can be changed, that we can be renewed, that we can be different than who we used to be. In Leviticus 18, verse 2, he says, Speak to the children of Israel and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt wherein you dwelt, shall you not do? And after the doings of the land of Canaan, where I bring you, you shall not do them. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances. Verse 4, you shall do my judgments and keep my ordinance to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. That's the purpose. That's God's design is that we walk with him. And there are so many more scriptures that we can talk about that tell us that we need to walk in the righteousness of God, that we need to walk in the ways of the Lord, that we need to walk with him in righteousness and godliness. God spoke to Solomon. He said, if you will walk in my ways, to keep my statutes, my commandments, as your father David did, then I will lengthen your days. Amen. But the problem is, is that, and there's more examples there of God telling his people to walk with him, but the problem is, is that we continue to turn our own ways. We continue to do the things that are right in our own eyes. And if we walk not in the ways of God, then God has promised. Folks, you don't want all the promises of God. But if we don't walk in the ways of God, God has promised that there would come uh, disciplines and, and corrections and, and instructions, and not all of them will be pleasant. Psalm 89, verse 30 if his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. That's the promise of God. And let me tell you something this morning. Is that knowing that that is the case, is that if we walk not with God, and we don't walk in his ways, then there will come correction or chastisement or punishment because of sin. But God does not just give punishment 
He does not just give judgment, but He also gives mercy. For He is plenteous in mercy, and His grace abounds. Praise God. And so in doing, God Himself has made a way. He promised to Isaiah in chapter 53, verse 6, He says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise God. On Jesus Christ, he's the one that took it. When we aren't walking right, he's the one that took the stripes. When we aren't walking in the ways and the statutes of God, he's the one that took the punishment. Praise God. I thank the Lord for it this morning. And so my question is today, how are you walking? There is a way that is right that we must walk in. In fact, God spoke to Isaiah, and he said that this is the way. Walk in it. You're going to hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. And I hope somebody hears that this morning. Time and again in Scripture, we read of the kings and the people of Israel walking not in the ways of their righteous fathers, but rather in the ways of those fathers who did evil and wrong in the eyes of God. They walked according to the course of their flesh and the ways of this world. But Jesus came, God in flesh, to reach for us, to reach for the lame and the halt, in John chapter 5, verse 3, we see Jesus. There's a crowd that is laying beside a, a, a pool, the pool of Bethesda. And a great multitude of impotent folk are blind and halts. That means the, the, like, like Jacob, the halt, those that, that have limps that are lame in their legs and withered, waiting for the moving of the water. And Jesus came and he changed everything for this man. When John asked of Jesus, he said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 3, he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said, said unto him, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Folks, I'm telling you this morning, I just want to make it to heaven. I just want to make it to, to home to be with the Lord. He's gone to prepare a place for you that where He is, there you may be also. Hallelujah. But I'm telling you what, if we don't walk in the right way, if we don't walk in the righteousness and godliness and holiness of the Lord, um, praise God, and we are in a place uh, that we are putting ourselves, uh, that we may not make it. And I just want to make it today. I just want to make it home to be with the Lord. Hallelujah. No matter what it takes and no matter what it costs. Because there is hope. There is hope. But if we continue to walk in our own way, we will find our own destruction. Matthew 18, verse 8. Jesus puts it this way. He says, wherefore, if your hand or your foot offend you, cut them off and cast them from you. Why? 
for it's better for you to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. Hallelujah. I hope you hear the preacher this morning that we try, we try to cover things up and we try to walk in a way that lets nobody see that there's anything wrong with us. You might never even guess right now that my heel as of yesterday has just been in severe pain. And I'm trying to walk and act like nothing's wrong. It's feeling a little better right now, but I feel it with every step. But you may not have noticed. You may not have seen it. It's warmed up a little bit because I've been standing. I've been moving. But there's pain with every step. And we try to cover things up. Try to hide things. We try to make it seem like everything's okay, but, but really we're, we're, we're struggling inside. We, we've got things going on inside that are, that are painful, and, and yet we're trying to walk. Not in righteousness. We're trying to cover it up. Because sin is working in you. The things that you go through, those, those are minor. Those are, those are nothing when it comes to the sin that is working in you. And we try to cover it up. We try to hide it. And we try to walk like nobody sees anything. But Jesus said, rather than cover it up, it's better that you enter into heaven maimed or halt. Stop trying to cover things up. You see, Jacob found a place. And God met him there and wrestled with him. There's some things you've got to wrestle with in your life. You're trying to keep walking and living the way that you always have been. But you're approaching situations and circumstances that are going to put you to the test. And if you are not ready, he was not ready to meet Esau in the way that he left Laban. But one night at the river Jabbok, wrestling with God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And there that night, God touched his thigh. And he was lame or limping or halt from that day forward. He couldn't approach Esau in the same pride that he had done before. He couldn't approach Esau in the same manner that he had before. You see, now his walk was different. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't try to, to pull something over on Esau because he couldn't get away with it anymore. Because he's walking differently. And so what does he do? He approaches Esau. And he begins to bow down seven times before Esau. And he proclaims that I am your servant. Folks, I'm telling you, Jesus said it right. It's better that we enter into heaven. Halt or maimed than trying to cover things up. There was a young man. Jesus told the, the story we call it a parable. He wanted his father's inheritance. He just wanted to live his own way. 
And so he asked, not asked, he told his dad, give me the portion of my inheritance. And in doing so, he essentially declared that his father was dead to him. That's the only time you get an inheritance, right? He said, give me the portion of my inheritance. And he took his inheritance and he went out, the Bible says, and he went into a far country and he wasted all of that with riotous living. You can imagine the attitude of that young man. No matter how extreme or far you, you picture or imagine his attitude, we're all on the same, pretty much the same page. But after everything was wasted, he finds himself in a pig pen which was in itself a shame for, a, for the Jews. But he was so hungry that he was willing almost to eat what the pigs were eating. And finally, the Bible says he came to himself. And he says, how many servants in my father's house have bread enough and to spare? He says, I'm going to go back to my father's house. I'm going to say, Dad, I, I, I don't, I'm not worthy to be your son. I just want to be a servant in your house. And you, you know what the scripture tells us? You know what Jesus said? He said that he began his journey on his way back home. And in verse number, uh, uh, Luke chapter 15 Verse number 20. He arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Folks, do you understand what was being said right there? If he saw him a great way off, most likely he wasn't seeing the features of his face. He was seeing how this young man was walking, how he was approaching, and he knew it was his son. And seeing him from that distance, he took off from the house and ran and kissed his son. And the son fulfilled what he said to himself he was going to do. Father, I'm not worthy to be a, ser a, 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 a son to you anymore, but I'll be a servant in your house. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Folks, his purpose is to walk with him, not the way that we have purposed in our lives. Would you stand with me today? There's an old song. It still 
tugs my heartstrings because it has ties to, to memories in my walk with God, times of, of serving the Lord. And it says, I thought number one would surely be me. I thought I could be what I wanted to be. I thought I could build on life's sinking sand. But now I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I thought I could do a lot on my own. I thought I could make it all alone. I thought by myself or of myself as a mighty big man. But Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. The mountain's too high and the valley's too wide. Down on that's where I learned to stand. Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. The Lord's wanting to change somebody's walk today. But you've got to be the one to recognize that, that it's God who needs to be the one to bless you. Not the work of your own hands. You've got to recognize like the prodigal son that you can't earn it. But it is given freely by the Lord. But you can't approach, you can't walk back the same way that you left. It caused humility in Jacob. It caused humility in the prodigal son. You can't approach in the manner that you left. Your walk's got to be different. Your walk's got to be changed. So this morning, I invite you to pray. If you want to come to an altar, you want to pray in the chairs. But I say, let's pray this morning and seek God. If this needs to be the, the, the in your life, a place of wrestling with God, then wrestle with Him this morning to get that old man gone and the new Let Him change your name. Let Him make you a prince with God this morning. Let's begin to pray in this house.